Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Too Tired to Code Switch. I'm so, so excited for my guest today um, talking about, oh, one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists. Um, we're talking about Jay-Z and his uh, Politics as Usual song from his very first album when he first came out. Um, and I have with me today President Stephanie Herseth Sandlin. So excited to have you today. It's good to be with you, Willette, and thank you for hosting this podcast podcast series awesome yeah so um i just got a couple of questions that I, w I would love for us to talk about um definitely it's a conversation um so i'm excited to have this opportunity to connect with you and to learn a little bit more about about you um and to learn a little bit about politics when it comes to you know dei issues and concerns and kind of just like what we as people can do um because we all play a role in making sure that this is a an amazing inclusive community that we all live in so one of the first questions and i've always wanted to know this about you was what inspired you to get into politics well i appreciate you asking that question willette and certainly the family I grew up in had a lot to do with it. My grandparents were in public service, my dad as well. And I was instilled in me at an early age the importance of government and public service. Mm -hmm. So going from the family farm out east to Washington, D.C. to go to Georgetown University um, really prompted me to ask some other questions of myself and of others who mm -hmm. maybe hadn't met someone from South Dakota before had some questions about agriculture that weren't as informed as I thought they should be. <laughs> uh, the intersection and relationship of federal policy with agriculture, mm -hmm. where my dad and my friends that I grew up with, if they had chosen to continue farming. Mm -hmm. But also, I started my legal career with the federal district court in Pierre, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And my recognition of the importance of the sovereign-to-sovereign -sovereign relationship between the federal government and tribal governments and it was those issues at the federal level that inspired me to want to be a voice and an advocate for South Dakota and for those constituencies in particular. Mm -hmm. But it was also the encouragement that I received from women, especially yes. women of my mother's generation. And then shortly after I decided to pursue public office, September 11th, 2001 happened. Mm. And I knew that many of the people that I grew up with who were serving in the military, particularly those in the National Guard, would be called to serve in ways that would be difficult to imagine the types of conditions that they would face. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a voice for them, a new generation of veterans that I knew that we would be relying on and need to care for mm -hmm. uh, in the years ahead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, you talked about the women from your mother's generation and, you know, you talk about um, how it impacted you. And, you know, you know, for me as a woman, I... I just sometimes just want to sit at the, the feet of women so I can learn and glean so that I can also, too, be the same thing, you know, for, for the girls coming up, you know, behind me. There was a great book that I read called She Wins, You Win, about how we as women, um, you know, how we elevate each other up. But at the same time, we're pulling each other up as well um, in support. So kind of talk to me a little bit about those those mentors and those sheroes that, you know, pulled you up and lifted you up and, and supported you that inspired you well I, I would love to talk about them because you're <laughs> right i mean their stories and then their belief in you mm -hmm. and how they bring you along in ways that you either realize or don't always realize mm -hmm. and then how they can inspire you in ways that you maybe didn't anticipate 
you would be called to do certain things, but based on the strengths that they see in you. And the first would be my grandmother, Lorna Herseth. Mm. She was the first one in the family to pursue public office and to be elected when she was still single. Really? During the Great Depression, she and my grandfather, who would later serve as governor, Uh they had a very long courtship, nine years. (laughs) And there are lots of reasons for that. Some of it it was because of the Depression. Uh uh Um, They were both the youngest in their families of nine kids and 11 kids. Oh, wow. But she ran for superintendent of county schools in Brown County, South Dakota in 1936 and 1938. That is amazing. Yes. And she wrote about those early days as a teacher mm-hmm. and then as a superintendent of county schools in this journal that she kept, which we later turned into an autobiography. And she used that salary when she was still single. She used her salary to help two of her nieces go to school at Northern State Teachers College at that time. Amazing. And she would tell me these stories, again, being the youngest of 11 kids, and then I was the youngest of seven cousins. Oh. So I was the youngest of her <laughs> granddaughters. And people would often compare our personalities, you know, a little bit precocious, <laughs> um, fearless. And she, I lived with her the summer before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And I was interning for the Public Utilities Commission in Pierre, South Dakota, Mm -hmm. after my first year of law school. And I had friends in Pierre, and I'd always be running in and out of my aunt's house because my grandmother lived with my aunt, and Mm -hmm. I was living with them. And she would always say, slow down, little Susie, and she'd want me to come (laughs) down and sit in her bed in her sitting area and want to know about my day. And she would tell me stories about when she was my age. Mm. And then she would also talk to me about my education and the importance as I got into the workforce of saving and investment. She pulled out these old ledgers from some of her first investments. And, oh, wow. You know, I just, but then I also think, Willette, after she got married, and, you know, we're all a product of our times. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So here you had this really strong, self-assured woman mm-hmm. who ran for public office and was in this long courtship with my grandfather. And then she became a wife and mm-hmm. a mother, and eventually First Lady of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And then my grandpa passed away Mm -hmm. in January of 1969. And a few years later, some of the older women in the Democratic Party asked her to run for Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking my dad, do you think that they would have asked Grandma to run had Grandpa not passed away? And if they had, do you think they would have gone to him first? to make sure he was okay with it Mm. before going to her. And my dad wasn't sure, couldn't Mm -hmm. answer that question because we we sometimes think about it in the times we live in now Mm -hmm. versus the people who they were and how they were formed by the times they lived in and through. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she was remarkable and she was well-regarded and well-respected on both sides of the political aisle. When I was first campaigning in 2001, 2002, and I'd tell people my name, and they say, are you Lorna's granddaughter? I love Lorna. <laughs> or if, are you Lars's daughter? And not as often would they say, I love Lars. No, they, everyone liked my dad, too. But my grandma was very special to me, and we had a very special relationship. And then there were people that served with my dad in the state legislature. Mm. Women of my mom's generation, not my grandma's generation, but women of my mom's generation who really that force in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. we're breaking more glass ceilings and many of them became role models for me 
And one in particular, Judy Olson Duhamel, mm. served in the state senate with my dad. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, so good to me and believed in me and was always so kind with her words. And she ended up being state party chair at the time when I was thinking of running. And she gave me great advice and and, uh, guidance. And I look and she continues to be so active and engaged in all of her passions today (laughs) because she had served in Governor Knipe's administration, her passions, early childhood development and education. Mm. And I continue to be in awe of Judy. (laughs) And then it was my mom who was the one who said, just do it. I believe in you. And she continues to just help lift me up whenever I need it. Uh, And I think that women of my own generation have so much that we owe our moms and our grandmothers. uh, Absolutely. you know, it's only a couple generations removed before we even had the right to vote. Exactly. Yeah. I still call my mom to this day. Like when I, I'm I'm feeling anxious or apprehensive about something, it's just like, what is wrong with you? You can do anything. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Right. I can do it. You're right. <laughs> they know us well. They yes. just need to remind us of what we should already know. <laughs> exactly. But then, you know, even when you think about it um, and you brought up the interesting point about um, them asking, you know, your grandmother to run, um, after your grandfather passed away, do you think it like taps into sacrifices? Because one, you know, the song that we're referencing today, again, Jay-Z's politics as usual, um, there's a line that he says, my life is based on sacrifices. But when we think about us as women, not only, you know, in in the workforce, but also in politics, um, do you feel like you've had to make um, a lot of sacrifices? Uh, What struggles do you think that, you know, you faced that you didn't anticipate? Well, we'll let the reason I really like that question is because I think the women who were encouraging me back when I was 30 years old and not yet married and not raising children knew from their own life experiences that women, women's decision-making, I don't want to say it's more complex, we just weigh variables differently mm-hmm. as we make our way through our professional and personal lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that they felt that it might be easier for me to take on a statewide campaign and to do what would need to be done to be successful and that I'd maybe be more likely to to jump in and do it because I wasn't yet married and raising a family mm-hmm. or at a certain point in my professional career where it gets more difficult and complicated. Mm-hmm. And so do I think I made sacrifices? Yes, I made financial sacrifices. Uh, I made some sacrifices in some of my personal relationships because the campaign was all consuming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet, I don't know uh, that they were sacrifices different than what other people who seek uh, to get into politics and campaigns have to make. Everyone's situation is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's worth sacrifices. If you mm-hmm. want to serve the public good mm-hmm. and be a voice on behalf of a diverse set of constituents, mm-hmm then there should be a sacrifice. I mm-hmm. think that it, it shouldn't come easy. They're mm-hmm. not easy positions to hold. Yeah. They're weighty decisions that have to be made. Mm-hmm. And I think that it helps one ask the right questions to make sure that you're seeking public office for the right reasons mm-hmm. and that you're willing to make those sacrifices and you don't get in the middle of it and say, why did I do this? No, you, ha- you, you need to know going in why you're doing it mm-hmm. and to be motivated by that day in and day out because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. either during the course of a campaign or while you're serving your constituents. 
Do you think it's amplified more because you are a woman? I think that that varies by the type of office you're seeking, your community, your state, and the political history, maybe, of of your part of the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that um, it's maybe how other people judge those sacrifices mm. that comes to to bear and the pressures that women feel. I think that there were times in my last campaign when I was a relatively new mom, not a young mom. I wasn't a young mom. I was a new mom in my uh, mid to late 30s. And I was feeling differently about some of those pressures Mm -hmm. then than I had when I had run in my first race. Um, I think that you're judged differently. Mm -hmm. I think that will continue because the, I mean, society changes, but not so quickly that some of those stereotypes Mm -hmm. or what becomes systemic and how people view candidates of different genders or different races. I mean, it's just there. It's hard to overcome in as timely a way as any of us <laughs> would want. But I think recognizing that and working through it, you know that you're making progress for others that will come behind you mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. for the future. So um, I do think some of it's amplified for women, mm-hmm. uh, but I do not having lived in in the shoes of, of some men who've made some tremendous sacrifices, too, I, I think just really is unique to each individual who has the honor of serving based on the courage they had to, to seek public office. Mm. And, you know, again, I'm an outsider, you know, when thinking about government, um, politics and, and all of these things from an outside looking in, you know, it appears to be a very rough game. Um, and there's a lyrics to the song that talks about the importance of being, you know, true to your word. However, you know, from time to time and time again, we see communities of color, um, affinity groups being promised everything under the sun um, in order to, you know, for politicians to get our votes sometimes. Um, however, when in office, sometimes nothing ever happens. So how can we um, as a people work to ensure that that doesn't happen again? Well, let me first say that politics are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about some of the things we're trying to accomplish together and with other colleagues here at Augustana University as it relates to goals and objectives here on campus just and how they might intersect with goals and objectives that I or others had when they were in public office, Mm -hmm. whether that would have been in Congress for me or at the state or local level for others. And the important thing is, as you mentioned, for candidates to be true to themselves, but also to be honest Mm -hmm. with voters that they're seeking to persuade. And to be careful not to overpromise, and I think to be careful to cultivate the kinds of trusting relationships that can engender the type of action needed both in public office that the office holder needs to pursue on behalf of the constituency, but also at the grassroots local level mm-hmm. within the constituency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I would use the example of the work that I did with Native American women Mm -hmm. as it related to violence against women and children Mm -hmm. in Native American communities, predominantly because of the impact of historical trauma and addiction. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. as well as the dramatic underfunding of law enforcement resources to keep communities safe in Indian country. Yes. And I wouldn't have been elected the first time had it not been for the belief and support and organizing of Native American women. Mm-hmm. But I think they also knew that I wasn't going to be someone that just came to get votes and then they didn't hear from me again. Because even after I lost in 2001, I went on a gratitude gratitude tour across South Dakota and spent time in Pine Ridge and other communities across the state. Yes. Because these are long-term relationships yeah. we're building together. Mm-hmm. And there isn't something that any one member of Congress or one senator can do to make something happen in the near term that can have lasting positive consequences. It's really what we do together, both at the local level, state level, and federal level, mm-hmm. for the longer-term changes and investments that are necessary. Yes. And I think that the accountability falls short when there's a sense that when someone isn't intellectually curious enough to really want to understand a culture and a history Mm -hmm. and a local set of priorities that can be different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even if the racial or ethnic background of the constituency is the same, that doesn't mean the local and tribal priorities are the same. And so it's taking that time to care and be patient and to learn and understand so that information can be synthesized and brought to a public policy-making body Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to build the kind of understanding and coalition that we ultimately were able to build in passing the Tribal Law and Order Act in 2010, Mm -hmm. and then how that gets implemented to make a difference at the local level and having advocates and partners that can continue to help us do the hard work Mm -hmm. associated with meaningful and long-term change. That is absolutely amazing and definitely inspiring. So from from what I've got, you know, relationships are key, but invested relationships. And I think, you know, when when we think about those invested relationships, that is the best way to get these disenfranchised groups um, in these communities um, to begin to trust the political process. I think that's an excellent point. They there is the mutual respect But the importance of listening, Mm -hmm. of showing up, of showing up repeatedly, of listening well, of asking questions, but also being vulnerable with each other Mm -hmm. so that when there are things we don't know or don't understand as well, we can feel safe to ask those questions knowing Mm -hmm. that there might be a fear of of seeming um, unaware Mm -hmm. or naive Mm -hmm. And yet we won't make progress unless we acknowledge that we all have things that we need to learn. Mm -hmm. And we all have blind spots. Yes. And back to my point at the beginning, Willette, we're all a product of our times. Mm -hmm. And so there may be things that we learned in our formative years that continue to serve us well. But there may also be some things we learn that we have to unlearn. Yes. And we won't unlearn them unless we're willing to bring the walls down a bit and to spend quality time to build trusting relationships. And that can't happen overnight, and it can't happen because you have a a meeting here and there. It has to be a priority, 
it's got to be about finding the right people to partner with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then trusting each other. Yes. That everyone's putting in the kind of time and energy and emotional commitment that's going to be necessary because it's hard work and it takes a lot out of us. It took a lot out of me when I was in Congress and the time that I spent knowing that women and children were at risk and I wanted to make more progress and I'm not the most patient person in the world. <laughs> but we got to keep trying. Yes. And we've got to keep bringing other people along with us to understand the situations and to be effective storytellers and advocates. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Man, I could talk to you all day about this. This is, you know, some of my my favorite topics to talk about, especially as I learn a little bit more how I can be a better service, you know, to my community um, that I now count as home. So thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to talk to us uh, today. This has been an amazing episode of Two Tied to Code Switch. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Have a great day, week, month year and life.